Greetings, fellow travellers. Welcome to Half Travel Will Travel, the podcast of the NUI Galway Archaeology Society. We are feeling very community orientated today as we travel to Feltwell in the UK to visit with Sue Garland, who organised the village to rebuild the walls around its Anglo-Saxon church. Join our intrepid auditor as she geeks out to rocks, walls and working with members of the community to make archaeology happen. So sit back, stay socially distanced from your community members, and enjoy the journey. I am here with Sue Garland again. Again. The one, <laughs> yes, the wonderful woman who <sighs> took us around St. Mary's and St. Nick's a couple weeks ago, at least as of this recording. Um, we are here at St. Nicholas's Church, because she's going to talk to us about the wall around the church, which she has done quite a bit of work on with a whole slew of volunteers to help try to restore it and keep it from just tumbling down around our ears. So, turn it over to Sue. Okay, um, when Bridget's mum asked me if I'd actually speak to a group of people about this and, you know, I, interesting didn't come to mind initially, <laughs> does it? How do you talk about a wall? It's like watching paint dry. So I decided, um, to come at it through the work we did. Uh, just a little bit of, a tiny bit of potted history about uh, the church itself. I was built in 683, they think there is evidence. And then it was partly demolished and rebuilt in 1072 when the Normans rocked up and wanted to do their stuff, I suppose. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the actual chancel of it was demolished in 1862 and the stone from there was then taken to St Mary's Church to help build that North oh. Isle. Apparently that was really common practice. Yeah. Knock down something you got and then take it somewhere else yeah. to use it. That's, that's get, ends up getting used all throughout history because we have so many cases of castles or churches where if they've been left to ruin, people just kind of come and collect whatever stone yeah. they want and use it to build their houses. Yeah, <laughs> so you can identify it all yeah, over, you know. Great. I mean, if you did it now, you'd be arrested, wouldn't you? But not yeah. then. <laughs> just a little bit of background to churches in this country and just a couple of figures, actually. In the English medieval period, which is counted for these purposes from 600 to 1500 AD. Okay. Okay. Uh, in Norfolk, there were 8,500 churches built in this country. Wow. Uh, in Norfolk, a thousand of those were built. So we have a huge, a disproportionate number of them. And that was greatly to do with the wool trade. It was very yeah, rich. that's right. And I'm actually reading something at the moment that apparently um, in medieval times there would be a warden of the sheep. Sorry, Angela, I'm no. being interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> there was actually a warden of the sheep. And the church sheep were um, divvied out around the village. Yeah. And you kept a sheep and paid a tithe for that sheep, but you were allowed to keep the wool and the milk. Interesting. So it was a way of the actual medieval church raising money. Ah. I think we should reintroduce it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love that. We should have a modern take on this, I think. Yeah. That's a great idea, isn't it? It is. Okay, um, so of those thousand churches that were built, um, 659 are left open and standing, wow. which is staggering. And it is, it is the greatest concentration in the world of medieval churches. So yeah. that's quite... 
that quite special, cool. I'm actually. To, I'm not nearly mathy enough to try to figure out the percentage, but that's like a thousand. Out of eight, well, say a th- 8,500. So, yeah. say a thousand out of 10,000, that's 10%, isn't it? Yeah, that's. That's a lot of churches lot of out of the country's churches in one county. Yeah. If I, if I knew my stuff, I'd tell you how many counties there were in this country, but I can't remember. <laughs> anyway. So, um, we as a parochial church council have responsibility for the parish church of St. Mary's okay. plus this wall and this churchyard. Now, Bridget's standing here and can assess the length of this wall. <laughs> it's, it's quite substantial. I know when we did our field trip, um, we kind of walked back towards the newer part of the century. And it's a bit deceiving when you first walk up to the church because it kind of looks like it's a very small little plot. Sure. But then you actually go through the gates and you just start walking. I've got loads of photos I can send you, actually, oh, that if that would help. Yeah, yeah? No, okay. Yeah. Um, so as far as the history of the wall is concerned, we don't really know. And it is obviously a retaining wall in that, um, yeah, you can see the height of it. Yeah. So when that happened, I don't know. These gravestones are like um, 1800. So whether this happened when the church was altered in the 1800s, when the chancel was knocked down, don't know. Or if it, I think the guys that came from um, the, I'll, I'll, the Society for the Protection of Ancient Buildings, I'll now refer to it as SPAB. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I think they think it's actually older than that, but we don't know. So yeah. we have a, this huge repair problem. And if you walk along here, uh, we've got, it's actually dangerous because a lot of these coping stones are loose. Oh yeah. You know, we can see we did some, some work on it in September, last September, but it's uh, particularly at this end, that's really dangerous. Uh... And there are stories, the, the bit down here, Edmund who lives at the farm there, mm-hmm. relates as a child um, in fact, he has in his loft a coffin handle that they got out because because as the wall deteriorates, things start poking out like yeah. bones and coffin handles. And oh yeah, so you can imagine as a kid finding a coffin handle, can't you? Yeah. I would be super thrilled. Well, he was super kid. thrilled. So, oh so the walls, not the first time the wall's been in terrible disrepair. Yeah. So we're tasked with this problem. We had a quote from a um, heritage building company who quoted us I think it was something like 40,000 for the repair of this oh my gosh and we just went (laughs) can't do that (laughs) we can't do that and neither will we get enough grants to do that so um it was about I think it was a January morning that I picked up the somebody we have a, a young woman that works at the diocese who's the heritage buildings officer okay who's been enormously helpful. She's a new appointment. And I rang her and said, what are we going to do, Holly? And she said, have you tried the SPAB? So um, it was a really dank January morning, you know, pouring with rain. And I, uh, (laughs) as it tends to be. And I picked up the phone to SPAB and just called the number. And it was almost like it was meant to be because this guy called Johnny Garlic picked up the phone and I start explaining the problem and he said, I'm not supposed to be in the office this morning, but yeah, we're dying for a Flint project. That's what we want to do. We want to, you know, get together and learn more about Flint and do Flint work. So he got terribly excited. He's, if you do yeah. eventually get to talk to him, he's a really enthusiastic yeah. guy, he's great. And um, 
he he uh, arranged a site meeting here 10 days later. They're based in London. Okay. And we had him. We had um, two guys who worked for the local... Lo, SPAB has local voluntary um, groups all over the country. Yeah. He arranged for the Norfolk SPAB guys to rock up. We had um, a lady from SPAB who organises... Um, they call it delegate courses where people actually pay to come and learn. So you know, craftsmen, whatever. Yeah. Maggie turned up. We had a... I'd also been suggested that I contacted the guy at the local college in Kings Lynn, the College of West Anglia, mm -hmm. who runs the building um, department to see if we could get students interested in this. Okay. And so we'd got all these feelers out. They all yeah. rocked up to a site meeting and we stood here and Chris Parker, who's the church warden, and explained the problem and they looked at it and oh there was a heritage building contractor who just happens to be a SPAB member. I'll explain a bit about SPAB in a minute. Okay. <laughs> and uh, we all stood there and they just went like this and they went yeah we can organise this. That's awesome. Well nobody says yes to us, everybody says no to us. We yeah. put in grant applications, no you, you oh, live yeah. in the middle of nowhere, no, 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 no. And suddenly this group of people went yes. So um, if That's I just fantastic. dive, I just diverge a little bit. In yeah. SPAB, um, are a charity. There, in fact, I've got a little book. I think. I hope I didn't throw it away. Um, <laughs> William Morris, you yeah. know the designer, wallpaper designer, whatever. You, William Morris, yeah. in the late 1800s, started SPAB because he saw what was happening in Victorian times, was that the ancient buildings were being either preserved as in aspic or yeah. altered and he was yeah. like we can't let this happen yeah. and so it's impressive that it's that i wasn't aware that it had been around for so long yeah since late 1800s i think it is yeah. i'll need to double check that yeah um so they started it's him and several people at the time started the idea that uh, and spab very much believe in building conservation not preservation Mm -hmm. So it is conserving the building for it to move forward, to be used, to be developed, to be, you know. Yeah. So they're not stuffed shirts. They're, yeah. they're very open-minded people. But totally passionate about ancient buildings. Um, yeah, I will nag him to get you an interview, because <laughs> honestly. Yeah, it'd be great to talk, yeah, you know, yeah. I'd put that through this morning, so we might hear. Yeah. Um, Okay, so here we stand with this group of enthusiasts. The guy from um, the College of West Anglia is actually an architect by trade. Okay. Very interested in his students uh, becoming involved in heritage building. The crafts that are required for it are dying out. Yeah. So he was dead keen as well. So um, in April last year, um, a small group came a few SPAB have if you become a SPAB member you are invited to volunteer on all sorts of projects which is exactly what I was going to do this summer yeah. till Covid hit <laughs> uh, you know you, you get yeah. to turn up at ancient places and do a bit of lime mortaring and whatever they want make the sandwiches yeah. with this crazy group of people anyway a few oh. SPAB members turned up and these ones that had come to the site meeting and uh, a guy called Joe Orsi, who's the Nor local Norfolk leader, um, who I think his business is in aggregates and what have you. He started life as a blacksmith and has turned his 
uh, and has then learnt this trade mm -hmm. and went off and got a degree in it and all the rest of it. Nice. Uh, so Joe came and they did a trial piece of the wall, which is down here, to see what stone was used to see. It's just it's it's this first side. bit here by okay. the gate. Um, to see what materials they needed to try out the lime mortars to see, and they did that. And then they said, right, let's go for September. So they left it spab, get in touch with their volunteers, mm -hmm. and they left us to get our volunteers. And together, and this includes the girls that turned up and made the tea and made mm. the sandwiches, and all we had to They're provide, <laughs> all we had to provide yeah. was lunch yeah. and accommodation for anybody who wanted to stay the night which okay. was about half a dozen people stayed in yeah. the village okay, and good. we got together about 68 volunteers the local pub the wellington um i asked if we could book in there for meals for people or just at the end of the day you know yeah. and we turned up and the bloke who owns the pub went we're paying for their meals so we it's fantastic for two nights they did that so it was yeah. like a really amazing community effort and over the three yeah. days that we ran the the course um yeah 68 people were involved yeah i remember my mom and she did yeah, and megan came yeah they, came, yeah, they did yeah they skyped me one night and they yeah. said yes what <laughs> told me all about and i was so jealous and I, i'm gonna be so upset because they're not gonna be here i mean this isn't gonna happen again until next year yeah. we still have to finish it and they'll be gone won't they I'll have, to, I'll have to come back. <laughs> of course. I, I had wanted to... I always, oh, what a great idea. We'll yeah. put you up. There's no yeah, problem. Yeah. Like, don't tell my professors, but I almost just... I almost went to go hop on a plane and come over just to come back and take part while they were telling well, me about this I will year. let you know, definitely. Yeah. Bring some of your friends as well. That'd be I good. Could. We could make it an archaeology study trip. Exactly. <laughs> On-site, hands-on, learning about lime mortar. Yeah, because, boy, you learn. As Paul calls it, bucket chemistry, he calls yeah. it. <laughs> the best kind of chemistry. It is. So, um, it happened over three days. We got, you can see, we walk along the wall, you can see how much got done and yeah. how much there is still left to do. Yeah. Um, and the intention was to do another another workshop this spring yeah. and then another one in September. On the back of that, the Maggie that I spoke about, who runs their um, publicity and their delegate courses, arranged with John Lord uh, a course that people paid for for a day. Uh, and John told them about flint napping and yeah. showed them the, the work and and they were mostly a bunch of architects actually who were totally useless at lime mortaring I have to say <laughs> oh, that's the so bit sad. they did we're gonna have to take out and do again because oh, so <laughs> it was so bad okay um so it was a delightful three days of I, I bet yeah a really diverse bunch of people meeting yeah, up i've got and some pictures of megan and my mom yeah on the wall the height of his jacket yeah exactly yeah. and and spab johnny came and ran the project and joe was here mm -hmm. and a guy called will who uh runs or is it uh, i don't think it's his company but he's part of something called clifton um conservation company and they are specialists in heritage building techniques. Okay. So um, Will came as a volunteer, gave up his time. We had a couple of architects who rocked up, who were crazy about ancient buildings, gave their time for nothing. All of this oh, cost us nothing, apart yeah. from the, the grub. Yeah. Um, and they, uh, 
Will actually, we've now contracted Will Big and his company because this front piece of the wall, if we walk down there, Right, from sort of, I think from that gatepost around, um, this was considered too dangerous for volunteers to do. Because there's a possibility, I mean they came and covered this up for the winter and he's done some rough work on there, but there's a possibility when this does get done, some of it's got to be taken down and rebuilt and of course the earth against there is serious stuff. for when people are listening, when we're looking at the wall, and we'll, we'll post some pictures as well, uh, but we're standing on the outside of the wall, and it's much, it looks much taller than it is from the inside, because on the inside there's quite a bit of earth built up against it. Yeah. So the inside of the wall is really like maybe a foot or so tall. And the outside is. Yeah, so that's a lot of, eight, 12 lot foot, of pressure being put on the wall, and I can see Exactly. It's, it was buttressed back in. Yeah early 90s probably okay. it was buttressed because obviously we had a problem then as well but the the problem gets worse and as the coping stones go so the water goes into the wall and then you get the freeze thaw action um yeah. this brick pattern everybody got terribly excited about <laughs> they're all jumping about like oh that's amazing so yeah. obviously it's amazing yeah. uh, um, um yeah, so that was the, that was the project, and that's how it happened. And we have contact with all those people still. So, what we hope to do is gather them all again. And several people turned up from the village because there's a lot of this flint wall. I mean, you know, the bit between you and us. Yeah. That has to be repaired at some point. And people are going, oh, I'd love to come and learn that, so I don't have to pay someone to repair my wall. I can then repair my own wall. Yeah. So that was really good. Yeah, no, that, that's such a it's such a neat story of community involvement. We were blown away, know? to be honest. Yeah, because that's something that we've talked about in some of our classes. There's a third year class that's on public archaeology. Yeah. And we talk a lot about like community archaeology and community yeah. projects. And I have several professors um, who have done community projects as well. Like uh, there was one, they were doing a survey of a famine village. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. A little east of Galway, if I remember correctly, and when they first went in to go talk about trying to do it, yeah. they gathered the whole community together and said, here's what we want to do, we want you guys to be in on it, because, you know, there's just, there's been a long tendency for archaeologists to kind of just walk in and try to tell everybody what they're th- okay. what they're supposed to think, whereas when you're talking about things like the wall here or the famine villages, they're such an integral part of the community. And you're going to miss out on a huge part of the story. Because like you were saying, um, Ed- Edmund. Edward. Yeah, that yeah. Edmund's, Edmund's, Edmund's story is great, yeah. isn't it? You know, th- those little things. That's not something that you're going to find if no. you just walk up and take a look. No. You know, no, no, and no, no. It, this is part of the, yeah. the village's history. And it's fantastic to be able to get them involved in that way. Because then they get invested in trying to preserve it. Yeah. You know? Edmund does some great photos, actually, of, of the church. Um, and his family, he got out for us. So that's really interesting. 
But also, I mean, I have a great belief that if you get people, you, like you said, people become invested in it. If you actually get them out here working on it, they're going to look after it. Yeah, and they, our, they put their time and they. And our idea is that hopefully in the future, when we need it looked at, we can say to these guys, "Come and do. Shall we do a day, and yeah. try and patch the wall up a bit?" Yeah, because the people have the knowledge and yeah, and the interest and in yeah, them. and they've been invested in something that they've already worked. And on. we had good fun. We had yeah. such good fun. You know, we had some crazy people here that were just yeah. Oh, yeah, that's good. Beautiful. Yeah, I know. I know my. Uh, Mom and Megan. Megan couldn't be here with us today. She abandoned us for a scout thing. How dare she? I know. <laughs> she is your cameraman. How dare I she? Know. <laughs> I'm on my own today, but I know both her and my mom had a lot of fun yeah, exactly. doing this. And it was a fantastic experience for her because she True. loves this stuff. And I love getting kids involved yeah. with yeah. you know archaeology and history because they just Especially, especially a kid like Megan just has such a thirst for the history and the knowledge and just wants to do it and take part. And, it's, it, and it's I guess fantastic. to be here for a while yeah. and to have things, you know, buildings that are this old yeah. is uh, good, isn't it? It's yeah. good. Because what's your oldest building in the States? 1600s. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know in the states, but I know there is a building in Colonial Williamsburg. Okay. The yeah. oldest building that's still standing, that is still like its original one, dates to like 16, somewhere between 1650 and 1670. So that's that is. I mean, that is the birth of, yeah, of the I mean, European. Our, the, first, in, the first English mm. colony was 1602, yeah. I think. Yeah. The Spanish have some older stuff. Okay. Uh, down yeah. like around yeah. Florida, yeah. Okay. the Caribbean, and that. Sure. Uh, that stuff. Some of that stuff might date back to you know the 1500s, 1500s, late 1400s. Yeah. But I mean, 1492. Yeah. That's as old as yeah, old gets. as we get in, in the and states. That, and that these buildings are common, and they all go back to the 1300s, and yeah, that, yeah and the 1100s and the 1000s. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, the fact that what do I say? 1072. So 683. They they feel there was a church on this site. Yeah. You know, I think Which that's I think that's one thing that at least, amazing. you know, Americans really like is that, you know, although in America we have history going back thousands and thousands of years, you have to kind of look for it. And it's it's a little bit harder to find, it's a little harder to see, and we really don't put a lot of And there's no on written it. history, is I mean there our isn't. written history does go back yeah. that far. Yeah. It goes and back so, at least a thousand years. Yeah, in America it's um, you know? Yeah, we talked about that, didn't we? Because yeah, we've been to the Mesa Verde and those cliff dwellings are, you know, that are they relatively unusual to find? Um, I honestly don't right, know. Right. I'm not too familiar with that. But then again, you know, we also we put like when we learn history. So so in America, archaeology isn't its own discipline like it is here. Okay. It's under the umbrella of anthropology. Oh yeah, well, that makes sense, doesn't yeah, it? Or yeah, or sometimes history. Yeah. Um, but because. In America, we tend to put a lot of focus on the historical part. Yes. And not a whole lot on the prehistorical part. Right. Um, and like when we learn history in schools, there's a lot of focus on basically uh, revolution, civil war, world war one and two. Of course. But like only our involvement in it. <laughs> well, it's the same as history that's taught here. I mean, it, yeah. world history is not taught, really. No. It's European history and actually British history. Yeah, we tend to get yeah. tend to get a little a uh, little bit tunnel vision when it comes to history, and there's just so much more to it. And other viewpoints 
a yes. mystery. I remember as a child, I, I don't know, I was 14 or 15, and the school took us to see, um, I can't remember the name of the film, but it was actually about Cromwell. Mm -hmm. And it was the, I came out of it saying, nobody told me the royalists actually weren't, they, you know, they were bad guys. Yeah. You'd been led to believe that anything royal was good and that yeah. actually Cromwell, you know, had his problems, but he had a point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, actually. It, you know, yeah. it's and it's like, oh, actually, oh, there's another way of looking at this. Yeah. yeah. I know, yeah. you know, people tend to look at history as it being very um, black and white, like it's either this or that. And it's too complicated. You've only got to look at history being made now to understand how yeah. complex it is, haven't you? You know, yeah, every, it's, In, it's, no, it's not just a, a binary thing. No. There's so many more factors that go into it, so many more... Um, points of view yeah. that there are yeah. and there's no real you know we like to think of things in terms of like good versus evil because it's it's nice it's like what happens in the stories but it's really it's so much more gray than that indeed so and people have vested interests and people with power are the ones that tend to make the history i guess don't they yeah history of uh like there's one saying that um my mom would always tell us uh m mostly just to remind us that you know, because she was very much about pushing us to try to learn about the whole history. You know, yeah. she wanted to know, because she's a um, historian by right. education. And so she was very much about making sure that we understood the whole history, the whole complexity of it. So she'd always tell us, you know, history is written by the victors. That's true. Because they're the ones who get to decide on what That's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's certainly true, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, therefore, the other side of the story... And the victors are not always the good guys. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. So. It is fascinating. I, I actually disliked history immensely at school because it was poorly taught. Yeah. And I've come to history as an adult, really. I came to history through teaching kids, having to teach history yeah. to little kids. And it's like, oh, this is exciting, isn't it? It's yeah. like, yeah. It, it really is. Yeah. That's, you know, that's one thing that I'm trying to help kind of create, like with these, mm. these podcasts and the field trips, is to show people, because especially with archaeology, um, when, when we don't really look a whole lot at documents, we're looking at artifacts yeah artifacts yeah. and mm. it can get really boring to just look at 100 shards of pottery yeah absolutely every single day and so you know trying to just bring it to life and show people the real beauty I, i'm gonna the, what i'm gonna say now is probably sacrilege actually but <laughs> you know walking around museums full of shards of pottery i actually don't find particularly interesting until it's brought to life yeah until you get something about the idea of the social history at the time. Yeah, because it's one thing to it's one thing to look at some pottery shards. It's another thing entirely to be told what they were used for, who was using it, the, the best story behind it. Morning. One of the morning. Yeah, one of the best. Actually, yeah. I mean, apart from the sort of all singing, all dancing museums that we get now, that yeah. actually have you know have things happening and working and all of that. Um, Paul and I went to Chile a few years ago and we went into a museum in a little town. We'll probably move towards the front. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> Get away from the, the traffic. Yeah, in a little town, um, oh, probably about an hour south of um, Santiago. And it was uh, the most amazing little museum. And what they'd done, they'd taken... Um, 
the history of the area chronologically so that you walked through this time of the area oh. developing, starting from, you know, yeah. um, prehistoric stuff to archaeology to this and then people came from here and these people and then like the Mapuche Indians moved and then this and that and it was like I got a real sense from that yeah. of how people lived of how, and that's interesting. Yeah, I know there's a museum in Ireland that does something similar it's called the Epic Im Immigration Museum okay. up in Dublin and it is a fantastic museum. I've been to it like two or three times now because um, it's all about the history of Irish immigration, people coming yeah. in, coming to the island yeah. and leaving the island. And you basically, you walk through, it's kind of, they kind of do it chronologically. Or, do you want to turn this off? Are you all right? Um, that's, that's up to you. Yeah, I don't we'll mind. Just, we'll just, we'll just chat. This okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, you walk through basically the story of Irish immigration. Fantastic. It goes through chronolo chronologically. And it's not just reading stuff. They have a lot of, like, you can actually... Um, like they have actors who portray certain, you know. That people. I love it. Yeah, so, so it's, it's people. It's fantastic. So you can oh. hear, you can see things, and it just it really brings it to life. Talking amazing museums, Belfast. Really. The, oh my goodness! If you get a chance, yeah. Um, and it's about the shipbuilding. It's actually built where it's built on the site where the. Um, the Titanic museum. Him that sank. Yes. Yeah. It's absolutely stunning museum. So yeah, we'd really good. To, we'd been to Belfast last Christmas, and mm. we went to the, I think it was the National Museum of Ulster, is the one that we okay. went to, and I really enjoyed it, but I'm also a nerd, and I really enjoy museums, and just reading stuff, <laughs> but that's just me. <laughs> no, that, that was incredible, because again, that's the social history of it, and the political history of Belfast, yeah. and that was very, very interesting. Yeah. Mm. No. yeah it's good. No, a good museum is an amazing place to spend a day. It is, you know, and it's really, it's the best spot for trying to connect with the public because that's, you know, kind of True. the common ground. Yes, it is, isn't Between it? historians and archaeologists and the public. And, and if you get kids interested and excited in it. Yeah. And it stays with you, you know. It really does. Mm. It really does. I think you're about to get run over, actually. Uh, I might. So, Come on, yeah. Bailey. Out of the way. <laughs> Oh, no, it's not Angela. I'm waving to somebody that doesn't know me, probably. <laughs> hey. Not all the time. Just hey. Wave. Yeah, just wave. Hi, people. You know. Is there anything else you want to know? I mean, I can, um, I can you know, the building, the building um, materials. This is the test piece they did. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's this piece. And it's a, you can tell that it's been done by people who knew what they were doing. You know, if you have a look on long here. The architect's piece. I'll show you which piece it is. You can probably pick it out. Look, it's that piece. Yeah, it's, it's much lumpier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not quite as smooth. But it's, again, this wall has been repaired, hasn't it, over yeah. the time. Yeah, it was here the stuff fell out of the wall that Edmund tells us about. Yeah. Yeah, on that level. Yeah, no, that's interesting. It's so the, the graves are actually buried right up against the wall as well. Wow. Mm. I find it interesting that it's just, it's such a neat mix of building materials because yeah. you've got some flint in there, but of course we also have the brick It's as stuff well. people have picked up, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you get that impression. Those on the edge there, now I have found that out for you because I couldn't yeah. remember what they were. It's all in here. Uh, hold on. It talks about, 
Oh, the outside of the building in larger letters, the names of John Doe <laughs> and Thomas Day, benefactors to the church, as well as other devices in stone. The device on the extreme right is from the coat of arms borne by the great Earl Warren, who came to England with William the Conqueror. Oh, is that the... The checkerboard, yeah. Oh, and okay. he was involved with Wheaton Castle. Yes, I actually went and recorded a little yeah. trip at Wheaton Castle. Yeah, that's right. Ago. He married Gundred, the fifth daughter of the Conqueror, and owned the greater part of Feltwell. And his coat of arms in heraldic language is Chequy, Oz and Azure. In other words, squares such as seen on chess and draughts boards, coloured gold and blue alternately. And so far as one can judge, the device on the wall of the church was at one time so coloured, which must have been most effective. Yeah, so he built his castle at Wheaton and died in AD 1089, his wife yeah. having died three years before him. In 1845, the leaden coffins containing the actual bones of Earl Warren and Gundred, his wife, were discovered side by side. Oh, I know. Oh, that's yeah. so neat. Because I remember, you know, like I said, we you can take all this little, bridges. Um, recorded a little field trip at Weeding Castle. Yeah. And then um, we're going to go up to Castle. Acre go up to Castle well. Acre. Yeah. Did I talk about Castle Rising? No. Oh my goodness, you must go to Castle Rising. I've, I've been once, like several years ago. The actual Norman keep that you can yeah. get. I, I, I think it's closed. Well, it, I think it will be because our little grandchildren, it's their favourite place to go. Yeah. And Paul goes, do we really have to go there again? Yeah, we do yep. have to go there yep. again. Because it's spiral staircases. And, yeah. and I guess they've had to keep it closed because you couldn't pass someone on the stairs yeah. without being too close. It's, it's a real little yeah. gem, actually. It is. I remember we visited it. Um, did you do the? Like did you have the ago. headset tour? No, we did. We just kind of went and we we looked at it. We had Bailey with us, and I yeah. made Bailey a little flower crown, and we got so we went all over the castle. It was great. Fabulous, isn't it? Really yeah. fabulous place. Um, yeah, in Castle Lakers, there's both yeah. the priory and the castle at Castle Lakers. Yeah, we're gonna visit. Um, is the car? I think the priory's open. Is it? It is. It is now. Yeah. You have to book ahead of time and reserve a spot yeah. and all of that. But it is open for visitors, and I think. The castle. Castle's just open yeah, anyway. You can just kind of walk in. Yeah, that's and, right. Yeah, and we were going to look at Bacon's Thorpe. But there's a link well. between that and him at yeah. Castle at Wheaton Castle. Yeah. Between Castle Lake and Wheaton Castle, yeah. there's some sort of link, isn't there? Yeah. That I now can't remember. The man who built Wheaton Castle was a. Um, was he this Warren guy? No, it's the Pay. The Pay. Yeah. Okay. Because the Deplays were um, Lee. You know, uh, sorry, De Warren was the liege lord yes. of De Play. Okay. And because they think that Weeding Castle, um, well, it's more of a manor house, was designed, its design was inspired by Castle Acre. Oh, some, okay. Similarity. Yeah, because there is like a, there would have been a house up in the, you go up and through. Yeah. And once you get inside, you know, inside, it's all outside, but you know what I mean? Yeah, Over the yeah. ramparts and what have you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a cracking place. Yeah, it is. So we've got to got to make it up to, to Castle Laker to go do a do a yeah. little field trip up there as well. I did talk to you about st about Seahenge, didn't I? When we were with John. Yeah, you did. You did I don't know whether Kingsland Museum is open, but it's definitely worth. Send him an email and just say. Hey, yeah, even if they're <laughs> even if they're not open, they yeah. might have you in. Yeah, yeah, and interview them for your. Yeah. Because that there is part of it there, which is fascinating yeah. actually. Let's take a look. Yeah. 
legitimate emails. So, so I was privileged enough to see it in situ on the beach because a, a riptide took the sand away and uncovered it about what my children were born. I mean, they were, I don't know, 10-ish, that sort of age. Oh, wow. And we, so that's only, how old are they? 35, that's only, oh, 10 of 35, that's 25, isn't it? Okay. Really? Is it that long ago? <laughs> <laughs> I'm struggling with the maths because I can't believe it's that long ago. So 20, 25 years ago, yeah. That's like 94. That's when I was born. <laughs> yeah, it's like that doesn't seem very long ago. Yeah, a riptide actually uncovered it. And of course, the archaeologists went nuts. Oh, I bet. <laughs> and um, so it was there for quite some time, certainly all that year. And I took the kids up to see it. Um, and uh, there was a lot of dispute as to whether it should be I didn't think it should be removed I thought it should yeah. stay there lots of photos lots of stuff and then let the sea take it back again because it yeah. it just seemed almost like uncomfortable to me that you're removing and there were a lot of um druids sitting there and there were people playing their um what are the things the Australians have the, oh, the didgeridoos, yeah, didgeridoos and you know there was a lot of spiritual yeah. people there saying oh, we're gonna sit here you're not to take this we're with like so that was that was really controversial at the time but they did take it mm -hmm. wow. and i i i mean how does archaeology view that are there two schools there it, yeah it kind of depends because like you know at least what i've been taught is um for something like excavation we turn to excavation um basically as a last resort Okay. because excavation is inherently a destructive process quite because once you've dug into it you have basically ruined any kind of preservation yes that the layers of earth yes have, have yeah. done and so if you um and there's no matter how detailed of records you keep or how many photos you take there's always going to be something that you overlook or something that you lose because um who knows or even something that if you're looking through the the stuff that you dig up and you have to make the decision of this means something, this doesn't, I'm going to study this instead of that. Yeah. But in like 10 years or even five years, we could have new technology that can then give us more answers about what looks like just a pile of plain rocks. And they're actually... So if you leave it in situ yeah. and the new technology, is that what you're saying? Yeah, that the new technology can you know, probably... You kind of you yeah, all this 3D um, imaging yeah. that they... Yeah, there's like oh, LiDAR, ground penetrating radar. God, it's incredible. Yeah, it's great, and it's, yeah. it's fantastic, because then we can get idea of what's actually happening under the yeah. ground without digging into yeah. it. So the less we disturb it, the better. Did you... I sent you a text about a Radio 4 program. Yes, yeah. I tried to reply, and it, it wouldn't send my reply oh, for some reason. Don't matter. <laughs> Did you manage <laughs> to pick it up or not? I was just... Um, honestly, I... Yeah. I don't know whether it was last week sometime and I was in the kitchen doing, and this I always have, I love Radio 4 I just have it on all day yeah. and it went I went oh oh we've just been talking about this I know I actually as soon as you sent me the text I went online and I, I went and I found it but I was just a little too late to hear it live had they, they taken it off oh they do okay yeah, so I've got to just I, I, I mean it wasn't it was just the way people are dealing with archaeology during lockdown yeah. which was really interesting which is yeah, what no, you're I doing give it a listen. yeah um, the other place, did you get up to Hadrian's Wall since you've been here or not? I have, yeah. We went up to Hadrian's Wall a couple of years ago because we went up and mm. um, we visited Scotland and kind of Fabulous. 
the area up there. It was it was pretty cool. Hadrian's Wall is, isn't it? And it the, is. uh, what's the big the big one? The um, Vinda 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 Diddley. <laughs> <laughs> The town, that's, the sort of that's been totally excavated. Oh, and uh, Scarborough. No, no. Okay. <laughs> there's several along. There's Housesteads is one. That's the yeah. fort up there. But there's another one, Vin Vinda something's in my head, but it's totally gone. Yeah. yeah, that's really fascinating. And they, I mean, there they unearthed like leather soles to sh sandals and, yeah. and all that that's exhibited. But I can see how the argument must rage about excavation and. Yeah, because yeah, there's some archaeologists who are really into excavation because it, it's it's fun, you know, you get yeah. to discover things and you get to do things. Ah, oh, you sweetie. Um, you know, but then there's always the problem, Bailey Liberal. <laughs> it's okay, it's like, we don't mind. No one's paying attention. Well, sorry, Bailey, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but then there's always the problem where at the end of the excavation you have a bunch of artifacts and evidence that then have to be studied and basically processed and looked at and people have to interpret it and... And then what do you do with it? Yeah, well, money, the, the funding generally only covers the excavation. The funding doesn't always cover the, display the actual the... study afterwards. So we have warehouses just uh, full of stuff. stuff that no one has looked at because there, there's no funding, funding for it. it. So I've had a couple of professors who say, you know, we could probably never excavate again and we still wouldn't be able to get through all of the no. stuff that we have where in warehouses. And this is just in Ireland, you know? Exactly. But I know it's the case pretty much... Everywhere. Yeah, you know, because excavation gets the funding and then excavation's fun and it's what everybody wants to do, but... It's the afterwards that's yeah. important, isn't it, yeah, actually? There's, what's the point of excavation if you're not actually going to look at what you're mm. digging up? Mm. You know? Yeah. There's so, yeah, much, so much that could be answered by what we already have. Do you think the LiDAR stuff will actually cut down the excavation eventually um i think i think so i mm. think th as it gets as the technology cause technology is constantly improving, yeah and as it improves and as it gets cheaper sure to use because i think i was i think i had a professor say i can't remember the exact uh numbers or anything but like the cost of using things like lidar has cut down drastically just because probably cheaper than funding an excavation actually yeah, yeah. Mm. and it's it's easier it's less destructive mm. um, and we can still get some valuable insights on what's going on so i think as technology like that gets better we'll be able to um, mm. and this idea as well isn't it that a settlement is built on an old settlement is built on an old settlement is built on and that's well, what that shows yeah yes. i mean excavation shows that as well it does yeah. which is where you know excavation is still good and sometimes there's no um there's no way around it, especially you know, if a road's being dug. Sure, you've got to get in um, there quickly. Yeah, you've got to mm. try to just get everything mm. out that you can. Um, or sometimes if there's just, you know, you've looked at it in every single angle possible, mm. using all the equipment possible, um, and there's still some questions that could that can only be answered by digging into it. Um, sure. You know, there's, there is some, some benefit to excavating. Did you um, find any pictures? We talked to you about the Saxon warrior that was uncovered at Lakenheath. No, I haven't found any pictures yet. I don't know where they are. I'll have to see if I can find them. Because that was stunning with his yeah. horse. I've got a... That's yeah, very special, apparently, if you're buried yeah. with your horse. Yeah. means you were that a bit is. important. Yeah, because, you know, when, you're, when you bury an animal, especially if it's like a, an animal in its prime, yes. when it could still have several years of work, 
Yeah. And you're not butchering it to eat. You are burying it intact and that is, with the person. That is ritual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is, there is something important about that, that burying guy. that horse like that. Yeah. yeah you like, I'd like to have met him. Yeah. What I found really, Westow, have you, did you go to Westow at some time since you've been here? No, I haven't. The Saxon village. What's interesting there that they found, that the people were taller than they expected. Yeah. There's this sort of myth that ancient peoples were not as big. But in fact, it's to do with diet, isn't it? And yeah. they probably were very well fed. Yeah. You and know, they weren't hunter-gatherers. They were actually settled. They were farming. Yeah. They'd got domestic animals. They'd, and so actually, living in Suffolk, they were probably okay. Yeah, you know, that is kind of a common myth, especially when you're talking about medieval people because you see the beds and they're so yeah, short. So everybody goes, yeah. oh, they must have been shorter. Not necessarily. It, yeah, you know, with the beds, it's just because the way medieval people slept is they slept almost sitting upright. Yes, yes. Um, so why would you need a super long mm. bed if you're not going to use half of it? And then, you know, like you said, it's all down to diet. If you have a fairly good diet, mm -hmm. you're going to be able... You know, and if you can feed your kid mm -hmm. well enough during his developmental years, you know, he's going to grow up big and strong. <laughs> I've read a fabulous fiction but I'm just thinking about Ireland now. I can't remember the author. I will go home and find this out. And it's set somewhere in Southern Ireland and it's set in the 1800s. Okay. And it's a tragic story of um, a child that's born and now we know what it is, suffered from iodine deficiency, which they called cretinism. Uh. And it's all about the, the myths and the suspicion and the superstition that surrounds this birth of this child. Mm -hmm. And, it, and the, I mean, it's a very depressing book. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the way she describes Ireland, you, and as you live there, you totally get it and how wet those people must have been all the time. In yeah. big wool skirts, <laughs> like dragging in the dirt and you had no shoes and you lived in a tiny wee. No, I'll, I'll try and find the author for you. It's totally gone. Yeah. Fascinating book, but very depressing. Yeah, I'd imagine so. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it. Okay, is that, yeah. is that enough for you? I'll send I you think, these photos. Yeah, I think that is. I've um, got photos of before okay. any work that was done. Be, that would be wonderful. Yeah, then quite we can, a lot of them. We can post that as well. Oh, he's yeah. Yeah, no, got she's the sniffer home there, I think. Heard <laughs> the word. Is that, is that, are we done, you know? <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, Take that, Bridget. I don't okay. know if it's any good for you. Um, yeah, let me just check through these notes, make sure I haven't missed anything out. Yeah. I doubt it. Uh, da, 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 da. I don't think so. No, I think that's about all, really. Okay. Yeah. Oh, a building contractor who will return in spring to rebuild the wall. <laughs> that didn't oh, happen. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah. Well, thank you so much for pleasure telling me about pleasure. the wall and you know for everything that you've done for us. No, so not at all. And I hope Johnny, if Johnny gets back to me, I'll yeah. let you know because be fantastic. He to would. Talk to I tell you, mm, I wonder if I can. I, I met a guy. Uh, my son lives in Sholdon, which is up towards Kings Lynn, and we yeah. were over there on Saturday, and they have a community pub that was bought by the community because it was going to close. Mm. Okay. So it's a really cracking idea, isn't it? It is. And they have a big village green, so the yeah. pub has been able to reopen because it oh, sets tables out on the village yeah. green. So Saturday night we went and had a pint. 
and uh, got talking to a guy who's um, knew something about the history of Shoreham, and of course he was he he was talking about um, somebody was going to come to the village to talk about. I'll, I'll have a word with Chris. He yeah. might fix anything up with you. And that's a plague village because the church is outside of the village, which is how you know, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's often the reason, isn't it, that the actual parish church is some way from the actual village now. Interesting. That they were play in the 1300s. Yeah. They were plagues. They were plague villages, and they moved the village. Did you ever go up to Eam in in, in uh, Derbyshire, the no. plague village? Do uh, it's Eam E Y A M. Uh, fascinating walk around the village. Mm -hmm. Yeah, have a look. Uh, okay. Because in the 1600s, uh, the plague arrived in the village. Brought up, they didn't know, did they? Because they didn't know how it was how it was um, passed on. But it was a roll of cloth that was sent up from London that had the rat fleas. And the plague broke out in the village, mm -hmm. and the vicar made the decision to shut the village. Wow. He allowed no one in and no one out. Wow. And they, because he didn't want it to spread. Yeah. And they had a lot of, I mean, there's a tragic grave with like seven, eight kids in it. Oh. Families were decimated. Um, but that's the, and the village is laid out. You walk around the village and there's all the plaques on the houses to tell you how many people died. And the church wow. has a total record. And as of all diseases, you see that the numbers increase and then it faded out. Yep. And there's obviously tragic stories, but that's a really interesting yeah, place. Yeah, I'll have to check it out yeah. so we can get up there. You have been listening to Have Travel Will Travel a production of the National University of Ireland Galway Archaeology Society. If you get a moment, please like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and your favourite podcast supplier. Thank you for listening.